faces, I am flooded with joy in my heart to see you all. Amen. Let me take this time to welcome our special guest today, um, Eddie Lear and his wife. Uh, they are friends from Johannesburg, uh, have been planning to visit us for a long time, and we're unable to, and finally, they have uh, managed to, to come uh, to uh, fellowship with us today. And it's a, it's a blessing to have you. So feel at home, um, and uh, you'll interact with the people after, after church. Um, we continue again with Philippians, and we are on Philippians chapter 1. We looked at chapter 3. Uh, chapter 1, verse, one to, verse 3 to, to 8 last week, effectively looking at Christ-centered fellowship. And, and today I just want us to look at verse 9 as Paul continues with his thanksgiving and, and prayer, verse 9 until verse 11. And uh, what we're going to look at today will be on the, on the topic or title of praying for one another praying for one another and i'm going to read from verse 9 just um it's, it's it's a continuation of what paul is saying and it starts with with a conjunction to show that there's a connection uh, with uh, what he has been saying he says in verse 9 to verse 11 and and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith. That comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. And this is God's word. Amen. Let us pray. Indeed, O oh God, you speak to us through your word, and we pray that as we hear your word, that our hearts will be opened. Pray that as your word speaks to our lives, you will continue to transform our lives, to, to, to conform to your will, and to, to be shaped, sharpened, and, and skilled in your ways, O oh God. We pray, Father, that you may work in our hearts, you may thrill us and, and drill us and bring us to yourself that we may be those, O oh God, who have been molded by you, those who are matured in the faith. Pray that your word will work in our hearts to bring you glory. Be with me, O oh Lord, as I declare it today. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought that your name will be honored in our midst. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Love for, for one another can be expressed in, in many, many ways. But I'm convinced that one of the best displays of love for your fellow brothers and sisters is when you commit them to the Lord in prayer. It shows care and concern for their well-being and, and their spiritual progress. And when I hear someone saying to me, I am praying for you, 
It, it communicates to me that this person cares about me and loves me for them to take their time, to commit their time to mention my name before God. Hywell James, Jones, Hywell Jones says it very well. He says it better than I could say it. He says that prayer for other Christians only tests one's confidence in God, but also one's love for fellow believers. It, it, it tests your confidence in God, and it also tests your love for your fellow believers. And, and this theme of praying for one another is, 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 is spread out through the scriptures. It, it, it's widespread when you look at the testimony of scriptures with, uh, with, with an eye that is keeping to the detail of praying for one another. When you look at the whole of scripture, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses relays the history of Israel's stubbornness and rebellion. And uh, this stubbornness and rebellion that provoked the anger of God. And, and, and God wanted to destroy the Israelite. But what did Moses do? He responded by praying before the Lord for the people of Israel that the Lord will not destroy them. And the Lord heard his prayer. In First Samuel chapter 12 verse 23, Samuel says in response to the pleas of the children of Israel for, for him when they say, pray for us before the Lord that he will not destroy us. Samuel says in, in chapter 12 verse uh, uh, 23, he says, moreover, as for me, far it be from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. He uses the language of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that says, he says, I will pray for you without ceasing. He says, for me to stop praying for you, not to pray for you, it, 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 is, it, is, it is equal to sinning against the Lord. And again, we see in Acts chapter 12, when, when Herod arrested Peter, with the goal of putting him to death, we are told in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12 that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church made earnest prayer when they realized the situation that Peter was in. They did not relax, but they committed themselves to, to, to calling out to God to help Peter. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 3, Paul encourages the church in Colossae to continue earnestly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray, for, uh, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ. Paul says, pray for us. He solicitates the prayers of Christians. He says, pray also for us. He goes on to mention the testimony of Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4 verse 12, saying, this, listen to what he says about this man. Listen to what he says about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, who is in your midst, who is a fellow believer, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. 
Epaphras, this, this, this fellow believer who is one of you, Paul testifies. He says, this man is always struggling on your behalf in your prayer. See, the, 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 the zeal that he had for the spiritual progress of, of the believers drove him into earnest prayer for them. And my prayer is that, oh, that God would, would raise such a people in our generation. A people who are committed to earnest prayer for the believers. That God would raise such a people even in CBC. Amen? That God would raise you to be such a man, to be such a woman, to be such a child. James again, after encouraging the believers to, to pray for one another in James chapter 5, continues to say in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. You see, prayer is a, is a string that needs the hearts of Christians together. It is one of the highest expression of brotherly love. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, we find the Apostle Paul on his knees in a, in a Roman prison, joyfully praying for the believers in Philippi. The, the, the conjunction and in the beginning of verse 9 tells us that there is a logical connection with the previous verses. There is a logical connection with verses 3 and 4 where Paul announces that he is praying for them. And Paul, he says, I, I'm praying for you with, with joy. And, and, and as he tells them, he is, he is taken into, into this joy that he has for them. And, and he goes deep into it and, and forgets that, that he said to them he's praying for them. And in verse 9 to 11, he comes back to his, his, his very first words and he goes into detail to show them what he is specifically praying for in their lives. He mentions in verse 3 to 4, I'm praying for you. Verse 9 to 11, this is what I'm praying for in your lives. It is interesting that even a casual glance at these three verses display Paul's major concern whenever he prayed for fellow believers. He, he mainly focused on, on spiritual growth that resulted in rich fellowship with God. He, 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 his focus was, was for these people to grow, to, to mature in the faith. As we look at these verses, I want us to learn three things. That we, we could be praying for one another and for ourselves. Three things that we, we could be praying for one another and for ourselves. One, a growing love two, an alert mind, and three, a fruitful spirit. Let's, let us look at the first uh, thing that we should be praying for one another as, as we, 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 we commit each other to the Lord. Verse 9, a growing love. A, a growing love. Look at verse 9. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with love, with, with, with knowledge and, and discernment, and all discernment. As I heard Auntie Elvie praying this prayer, my heart was warmed. Paul here prays for a growing love. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. Notice that he says, your love. The implication of these words is that these believers had love. They, they had love. They possessed love. And, and it is to be expected of every spirit-filled believer, every spirit-led believer, to be someone who has love. One of the fruit of the Spirit is love. To be a Christian is to know and display love because we have experienced greater love when God displayed his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. John says, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 to 8, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Listen to these words. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Paul was sure that the people that he was writing to were born of God. He, he calls them saints and, and, and brothers. In verse 6, he acknowledges that God is sovereignly working in their lives in matters relating to salvation. Logically, that would mean that he is also aware. He is also assured. He also knows. He, he, is, he is confident that they possessed the fruit of love. But looking at his words here, he does not want them to be comfortable. He wants them to keep growing. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. Listen to those words. The, the, the word abound is, is, is from the Greek word which speaks of something that is in excess or something that is overflowing. It, it is, it is uh, when we, 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 we consider it in, 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 grammatically, it is, it, is the, it is a present active subjunctive which gives us the idea of a love that keeps on overflowing, a love that keeps on overflowing, that progressively flows, a perpetual flood of love, a growing love. D.A. Cousin comments on this, writing this. He says, from a Christian point of view, growing love for God must be reflected in love for other believers. However, however wonderful this congregation has been, however faithful in its love, even for the apostle himself, Paul prays that their love may abound more and more. This prayer is, is significant because we, we have a tendency of limiting our love only to a specific group of individuals. Especially those who 
seem to be like me, right? Those who seem to be like me, those who like the things that I like, those are the people that I focus my love on. Those are the people that I, I especially love. I alienate, I alienate those that I find difficult to love. We, we spoke about those you, you find difficult to love last week. I, I, I alienate them. I, I ignore them. I focus on this specific group of people. In Matthew chapter 24 Verse 12, Jesus warns his disciples <clears throat> about the last days. He says, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. The idea is a love that is being swallowed by, by self-love and, and self-preservation. So Paul says, instead of a love that grows cold, have a love that abounds more and more. If this love was a storm, it would flood the whole village. If this love was a virus, it would infect anyone who comes in contact with it. It is not a reserved love, but a love that has hands that are reaching out to those in need. A love that has a voice. That is, that is calling out to everyone who is lost and showing them the way that Jesus Christ is the way. It is that kind of love. It is a love that, is a, that has a heart filled with compassion for the suffering, for those who are weak. It is a love that is filled with compassion, a love that grows more and more, that abounds. But this love is not just a sentimental feeling that fades. But he says that this love should abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and all discernment. This is the kind of love that becomes more knowledgeable. But it's not, it is not any kind of knowledge, right? It is not any kind of knowledge. Paul is not hoping that they will grow in their knowledge of, of mathematics or, or physics or, or biology. He's not, he's not hoping that they will increase in that knowledge, although that knowledge is also important. But that is not the knowledge that Paul is, is, is talking about. Paul is talking about, has in mind the knowledge of God. He, he wants them to enjoy insight into God's words and, and ways, and thus to know how to live in light of them. And the truth is that you cannot grow in your knowledge of God if you are full of bitterness and, 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 and other self-centered sins. You, you cannot grow in the knowledge of God if, if that is what fills your heart. The, the, there's a, there's a life-altering element to, to knowing God. And, and when I'm talking about knowing God, I'm not talking about going to seminary for, for as many years as you can or, or memorizing the whole of scripture. You can do all of those things, but, but if, if, if you're not growing in delighting in the Lord, then you don't know the Lord. You might know about the Lord, right? You might know about the Lord, but you might not know the Lord intimately. 
So Paul wants them to grow in love with knowledge and, and discernment. He, he wants them to grow in these areas of their lives. To grow in the knowledge of God demands an increase in our love. Our love for God and our love for others. This is what we must be praying for one another. Oh God, help my, 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 my fellow believer to abound more and more in love with knowledge and, and all discernment. A growing love. We, we, we don't only pray for a growing love, but secondly, when we pray for one another, we pray for an alert mind. An alert mind. Look at verse 10. He says, So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. After laying down the priority of a growing love, he, he continues to pray for an alert mind. The, the word approve here in this passage is a word that is commonly used in the New Testament and, and can, be, can be rendered as allow, examine, prove, and even discern. John MacArthur explains it this way. He says, in classical Greek, it was used of, of testing metals to determine purity and of testing coins both for the purity of their metals and for their genuineness. In Romans chapter 2 verse 18 and chapter 12 verse 2, the word is used for the ability to discern and distinguish between good and evil. But the sense here in, in, in this context, in, 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 in the context in Philippians, it speaks of the ability to distinguish between better and best. John MacArthur continues to explain that the word approve means much more than simply acknowledgement or, or agreement that something is right or true. Paul appeals for believers to study, investigate, and determine the possible ways to obey and please the Lord and then to live accordingly. Notice the logical flow of, of this passage here. Growing in love, abounding more and more in love with knowledge and discernment results in having an alert mind. They, it results in having an alert mind. And this is a quality that is mostly needed in our times, right? It's a quality that we need most in this age. We, we live in a time where there are many people masquerading as teachers of the truth, but in the words of the Apostle Paul, they are peddlers of doctrines of demons. And, and, and some of these doctrines are, are subtle. Uh, they, are, they are subtle and they are not easily discernible of their error. It's, it's, it's not easy to tell that this doctrine is, is, is in error because it is sugar-coated so much with, with truth. 
And it, it, it makes it easy even for Christians to be deceived. Usually when, when speaking to people about the latest book that they are reading, you, you want to know how they are growing and, and what they are reading at the moment. You would be disappointed to hear people telling you that they are reading someone who is a false teacher. And they tell you that I'm enjoying him. I'm, I'm enjoying her. Oh, she's a good writer. She's a good teacher. He's a good writer. He's a good teacher. But you, you know that this person is a peddler of doctrines of demons. Because they do it in a subtle way. In a way, it looks like the real thing. But when you get closer to it, it's not. There's a saying in in, 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 in Pedi that says, In other words, I know you are confused and you're looking at me. <laughs> it means do not look at something that is sweet, that looks sweet. Because deep inside, it's bitter. All that glitters is not gold, right? It might look like it's glittery. It might look sweet. But deep inside, it's poisonous. Paul warns the church in Colossae, saying in chapter 2, verse 8, listen to this. He say, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the ele elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. And the people that he is warning are Christians. They are people that he is, he is warning that are in Christ, and he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. In other words, it is possible to be taken captive. And, and I let mind, according to Paul here, it's a discerning mind. It's a mind that seeks to study, to, to investigate, to, to determine what is truth and, and, and what, is, what is not. And sometimes, as, as Spurgeon says, that discernment is not only the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. The, the discernment sometimes is the ability to tell the difference between right and almost right. Paul continues to say, And I let mind prepares one for the day of Christ. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The, the, the word pure means unmixed. It is something that is unmixed in the sense of unmixed with substances. It, it gives us an idea of a, of a transparent heart. A, a heart with pure and unmixed desires. And again, the word blameless is literally without stumbling or, or not stumbling. Cantus explains that this metaphorical sense enhances the picture. Paul's prayer is that the Philippians will live pure 
morally transparent lives, free from stumbling, and thus stand upright and pure on the day in the dazzling presence of Christ who knows all. Amen. Amen. Prepared for the day of Christ. Not only are we, pray, are we to pray for a growing love and an alert mind, but thirdly, we are to pray for a fruitful spirit. A fruitful spirit. Look at verse 11. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. His desire as he prays for these believers is that they will be fruitful people. They, they are to be people that are filled with the, with the fruit of righteousness. The word filled here is in the passive voice, which gives us an idea that the subject receives the action in this context. They are being filled. They are not feeling themselves. It indicates that believers do not feel themselves, but are, are, are filled by an outside source. And in this case, it is God himself who does the feeling. Which is why Paul says that this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Right? And it gives us the idea, it gives us the idea that Paul had in mind a relationship with Jesus that grows in sweetness and in depth and, and a relationship that inevitably leads to fruitfulness. Growing closer to God will inevitably always result in fruitfulness. He is not interested in mere churchianity in mere church attendance, but spiritual fruit produced by abiding in Christ. And, and the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 to his disciples are, are worth repeating to, 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 to press the significance of this point. Let me read from John chapter 15 verse 1 to 9. Let us listen to our Lord as he speaks to his disciples here. And, and again, speaking to us because his word continues to speak to us even today. He says in verse 1 to verse 9 of chapter 15, John, he says, I am the true vine and, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and bent. If you abide in me, and, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. The key word is clear, right? What is the key word? Abide. Abide. The result of abiding in Christ is bearing fruit. And, 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 and the result of not being in Christ, not abiding in Christ, results in not bearing fruit. And he says that the branch that does not bear fruit is thrown away and it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and bent. They are cut off from him. They are separated from him eternally. You, you cannot say, I am abiding in Christ and continue to wither in your faith. Continue to wither in your spiritual life. I'm abiding in Christ, but there is no growth. Your love is not, is not, is not abounding more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You say, I'm abiding in Christ, but you continue in a life of sin. I'm abiding in Christ, but you, 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 you do not want to serve. I'm abiding in Christ, but you do not have love for believers. You, you, you do not have a heart that wants to make Christ known. I'm abiding in Christ, but you, you, you do not want to enjoy fellowship with believers. Apart from receiving the desire and the power from Jesus, our vine, we can do nothing. We cannot do anything. Paul repeats the same idea with the following clause, which, which says that the fruit comes through Jesus Christ. That the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And too many Christians try to produce fruit in and through their own efforts. And then they ask God to bless those efforts instead of abiding in him and allowing his life to bear fruit as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory, Peter says, both now and to the day of eternity. How do we abide in him practically? Three things. Let me give you these three things. First, studying the word. Peter says to, uh, to Jesus in John chapter 6, after Jesus teaches a hard lesson and, 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 and people that were following him started to leave him. They started to, to separate themselves from him and said, who can listen to these things? These things are too hard to listen. And they leave. They forsake him. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, why are you still around? 
are you also going to leave? And Peter looks to Jesus and says, Lord, where can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Abiding in Christ is spending time studying his word. Seeking to know him because he has the words of eternal life. And I wonder if that is you. I wonder if you spend time in your word. I wonder if you spend time studying the word, seeking to see Jesus Christ displayed in the word, drawing to God and saying, show me Christ, show me Christ, Lord, through your word. I wonder if that is, that is you. Secondly, we abide by committing ourselves to prayer. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul, what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 that we should pray without ceasing. I love that Greek word that he uses. It is a word that denotes or refers to a cough that keeps coming and coming. A cough that is so irritating that it, come, it keeps coming back every time. You, you think now I'm fine and and I, I am relieved, and it keeps coming back. Going back in prayer, praying without ceasing, throwing ourselves at the mercy of God, praying for one another, drawing to God for strength and comfort and encouragement. Lastly, we abide in Christ in fellowship with one another. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, We must not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near, meet together, encouraging one another. A.J. Gordon puts it, well into perspective when he says our relation to Christ determines our Christian walk and this is obvious a, a true Christian walk is, is a reproducing in our lives the righteousness which is already ours in Christ a, a righteousness that is practically displayed in the way we live, in, in the way we conduct our lives, in, in the way we carry out our lives. Uh, this fruitfulness that Paul says, talks about, he says it results, listen to these words, in glory and praise of God. By glory he is referring to the transcendent majesty of God. And by praise, he's referring to the exaltation by his people. Listen to this. Let me explain it in this way. In other words, God in his majesty is high and exalted. And when we praise him, we, we do what? We acknowledge that he is exalted. John Piper when he talks about the glory of God, I love, I love how he explains it. He says, when you think about magnifying God, 
don't think about it in 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 in, in, in terms of a of a magnifying glass because a magnifying glass takes small objects and 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 makes them big objects that we cannot see it makes them big we should not look at god in that way but we should look at god in terms of a of a telescope because a telescope takes big objects that we cannot see and it brings them closer for us to see we we our god is not a small god as i said last uh, uh when the year began that we should have a big god theology right when we have a big god theology even our lives will be we, we will seek to to carry out our lives for the glory and the praise of god we will seek to live a first corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 life whether we eat or drink in all things doing it for the glory of god right one author writes that the highest glory of god comes from the from the gradual increase in redeems people's likeness to him when our when we continue increasing in our likeness to god the the, the more god is glorified in our lives and what great thing to be praying for one another praying for each other that ultimately our lives will be to the glory of god amen as i conclude one of the things that that make me really happy that that brings joy to my heart is 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 when people who who visit us and 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 come they commit us to the lord in prayer they they say can i pray for you can we pray for you i am assured of of their love and and care i am assured of the bond of love that we we share in christ but most importantly it delights my soul to know that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, intercedes on my behalf. In the words of the hymn, he ever lives above for me to intercede. In weak moments, in moments of weakness, I am reminded of Romans chapter 3, chapter 8, verse 34, which says, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us i know and i am fully convinced of his love and care for me hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says about him that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him listen to these words since he always lives to make intercessions for them i'm convinced that he lives he ever lives above for me to intercede there's a stronger there's no stronger witness than what the scripture says and when my soul is in doubt i will sing again 
with joy. That beautiful hymn. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my shorty stands. My name is written in his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. No let that the ransom sinner die. I am convinced that my Lord intercedes for me. Amen. Indeed, Lord, you speak to us through your word. You encourage us and you draw us to yourself. You work in our hearts. I pray, Father, that your word will pierce our hearts, oh God, to convict us, to, to, to pray for one another, for growing love, a, an alert mind, and, and a fruitful spirit. And these, these things will be evident in our lives. We pray all this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.